Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. What's Wagner's rule of life number four? <laughs> Nothing good happens outside a strip club at 2 o'clock in the morning. I'm sorry, I understand I might be like a dog with a bone on this, but this is just fundamentally wrong. It is an insult, but let's tee this up. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 414-799-1620. I'm sorry, I think this is absolutely ridiculous. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. I want to start the program today by making a confession. Yep, 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 I, I am confessing. I am a freeloader. I, I, I am. I, I'm a freeloader, and I, I'm not talking about the guy that, you know, has the alligator arms and never picks up the tab at restaurants. You know, I'm not, that's not me, or, or that expects people to do things for nothing. No, no, that, that's, that's, that's not it. I think most of the people I deal with in my life would tell you that I, I pay my share, maybe more than my share of things, that, and that's fine. I mean, I am, in the world of finance, a freeloader. A freeloader is defined as somebody who has a credit card but never pays interest on the credit card. I do not remember the last time that I did not make a, I I, I do not remember the last time that I did not pay off a credit card balance in the month that I accumulated it. I, I don't remember the last time I ever paid any credit card interest. They call you, though, in the industry. If you're a person that does that, you are a freeloader. So why do you use the credit card? Well, you use the credit card because you, you get the benefits of the credit card. You get the points. All right, a couple weeks ago, my wife and I, we went to Key West on vacation. Hotel cost a bunch of money. Airplane cost a bunch of money. Dinners out at some of the places cost a bunch of money. Put it all on the credit card. Came back and paid it off right away. I mean, just just right away. So I get the points on the credit card that at some point in time I can redeem for something. But I, I don't have to, again, I don't have to pay any interest on it. So essentially, I use the credit card company's money for a couple weeks, and they gave me points. Credit card companies hate people like me, the, the freeloaders, because we, at the end of the day, end up costing them money, especially if you've got a credit card that doesn't have any sort of annual fee attached to it or anything like that. You, you get the points. You, you don't make the payments. But that's fine. If they want to give me the credit card, that is how I will do it. And I've always felt that that's a kind of a responsible way to be. Here's the problem, though. A lot of people who use credit cards – for whatever reason, they either don't have the discipline or they don't have the money to pay off the balance every month. And if that happens, you end up getting socked with pretty nasty interest payments, 14%, 15%, 18%, whatever it is, and it adds up pretty quickly. I bring this up because there is a new story out this morning. Credit card debt in the U.S. at the end of last year, so as of December 31st, 2018, has hit a record high. Get this. U.S. credit card debt hit $870 billion, the largest amount ever. Credit card balances rose by $26 billion from the prior quarter. Nearly 480 million credit cards are now in circulation. That's up by more than 100 million over the last 10 years. At the end of the last year, credit cards were the fourth largest portion of consumer debt in the United States. Number one was mortgage. Number two was student loan. 
Number three was auto debt, auto loans. And number four was personal credit card. The quarterly increase in credit card debt was faster than in any of the other categories. So what what you see is this staggering use of credit. And that is not in and of itself bad. But what is bad is when people don't pay that off in a timely fashion. Get this, about 37 million credit card accounts had a 90-plus day delinquent mark added to their credit report last quarter. That's an increase of about 2 million from 2017. These 37 million accounts. So what that means is 37 million accounts. Um, people ha- have not have been delinquent for 90 days or more. So you've got that interest that's just running and running and running. Those 37 million accounts hold roughly 68 B as in billion dollars in debt that is 90 plus days delinquent. You know, the numbers go on and on. It's also troubling that one of the things they look at is that the number of of older Americans, those over 60, account for about 30% of the total of credit card debt. So, you know, what you're seeing is more and more older Americans are starting to use credit cards to to pay for things. And again, that that is consistent also with the delinquency rates that are going up. Now, again, I think being able to use credit cards is is great if you're able to manage them. It lets you get things that you maybe not be able to buy or in the case, for example, like how I use the credit cards, you get the benefits and you're essentially, you know, using, you're playing with house money. You're using the credit card company's money for a few weeks or, or whatever, as long as you pay it off. However, if you don't pay this off in a timely fashion, you end up, you know, getting sucked into this problem. And if you're only making minimum payments, um, you're you're in a lot of trouble because you're paying what fifteen percent, eighteen percent interest on the credit card accounts. You're not reducing your balance. If you're still using your credit card, you're increasing it, and you're getting further and further and further in debt. This, to me, is one of the big economic time bombs that are out there. We all talk about how well the economy is doing. We talk about how people's employment situation, we're near full employment and all those things. But it is the easy availability of these credit cards, which I think is going to be this giant time bomb that has the potential to go off pretty soon. Um, all it's going to take is a, a recession, you lose your job, you're not able to make those minimum payments on the credit card, and then then you're in a lot of trouble. I want to open up the phone lines. Our number, 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I don't know about you, but everywhere I go, I am bombarded, bombarded with applications. Here, get more credit. You know, here, take take out this credit card and we'll we'll give you this incentive. Take out this credit card, we'll give you that incentive. My guess is in any given week between my wife and I, we probably get at least three, maybe as many as five solicitations for more credit. Now, candidly, whenever we get those, when I see them, it goes from my right hand to the left hand into, you know, the trash can. But but this availability of easy credit and the willingness of people to jump on it, I, I think is scary. And 
is it a situation where I think the government needs to come in and, and limit that? No. But I think as more and more people continue to use those cards, what you're going to see is a financial train wreck unless unless people end up getting shut off. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I want to start off with kind of a consumer finance discussion here. What have you seen with regard to credit card use? Do you know people who've gotten in trouble with the easy availability of credit cards? Do you know people that have dug themselves holes where it's almost impossible to get out? Because, I mean, here, here's kind of the reality of this. If you're making 40 or 50 grand a year and you're $20,000 in credit card debt, unless you've got some pile of money that's going to be coming in somewhere, you're going to need a lot of discipline to dig out from that debt, and simply making the minimum payments isn't going to do that. 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, how big of a problem is this? I guess I was just stunned by the story released today. Credit card debt, a record $870 billion. And I sincerely wonder how some of those people that are in debt I wonder how they're going to be able to dig out, if at all. Let's start with Tom in Hartford. Tom, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. What do you think? I think, well, I just told your screener that uh, when I was younger, when I first got married, I had a credit card and a little bit of debt, maybe 500 to to $1,000. I was able to pay it off. Now I'm in my upper 70s, and I use it like you. I'm a freeloader, too. Right. I just used the card. <laughs> yeah, well, no, I'm proud of that. I mean, if 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 they if they want to lend me money with no interest for three weeks, God bless them. I'll take it. You're darn right. And I, like I say, I got a very good credit rating, and that's what I was going to be because I just love it that way. You know, I'm right. just, I'm just I'm, playing, I'm a freeloader. <laughs> well, and I guess I guess big picture though. I mean, I wonder how this all plays out. You know, in the long term, as, as more and more people, again, I mean, I think of the average American family. Let's say again, you know, you're, you're making forty, fifty, sixty thousand dollars a year, but you've crawled into credit card debt of ten, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars or more. You, you wonder how anybody's going to be able to dig out from that unless you've got an inheritance coming or you win the lottery or something like that, which isn't an economic strategy. Exactly. You took every word out of my mouth. No, th- th- thanks for the call. No, and, and I guess it, it, it is this concern, and part of it is, I mean, I, I mean, l- part of it is we are to blame. You know, nobody, nobody makes you sign up for that credit card. Nobody makes you when the credit card company says we'll we'll increase your we'll increase your credit limit another ten thousand dollars. Nobody makes you say yes. Nobody makes you pull out that plastic and pay for the hundred dollar you know dinner that you then end up financing six months down the line or you know that you're now financing for a, a year and. I mean, look, I understand, like I say, there's some people that have a degree of assets, so you're not, it's not a problem. But I'm telling you, I think this is the ticking time bomb. We continue the conversation. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. This week's Home Improvement Spring Showcase is brought to you by Serta Pro Painters. That's Serta Pro Painters who say, we do painting, you do life. Steve in Wauwatosa. Steve, good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. I was telling Drew, great show as always. Thank you. Um, my point with him was you're not, you are not a deadbeat. I, I practiced and handled my finances the same way you did before I retired. Mm-hmm. You are providing them with tons and tons of 
of information that they sell over and over to right. thousands of different lists. They are profiting handsomely just right. from watching what you spend your money on, what you respond to. And those individuals then market people with, with their charge cards to entice them to buy more and usually on credit and use right. their charge card to buy it either online or to use that instead of cash. It is, it is a game that is stacked to the house. We watched what happened back in the mid 2000s right. when the, when the crisis happened and tons of investigative bodies found that people would send in their payments. They would claim they weren't received. They would hit these people with these overages. People that are working, like you said, making forty, fifty thousand a year, can't spend three hours on the phone right. to try to straighten out seventy bucks in late charges. And they've reported billions and billions of year in profits just mm-hmm. on late fees. Yeah. So you're not a deadbeat. None of us are that pay our bill as agreed. And they're they're not uh, getting. You're not uh, on a free ride, and they're not doing you a favor. They are. Uh, right. They are no, marketing right. you, and you're being guarded about uh, controlling your right. losses. Well, thanks, and and Steve, and and the reality is when I when I put the hotel stay in Key West on the credit card, the you know the, that hotel is paying the credit card company uh, a percentage for that for the right to use the credit card. So no, I don't feel sorry for the credit cards, but you know your reference to 2007 and 2008 is kind of hitting home. And I, I don't mean to be the, this scary sort of guy, but the, this, the numbers in this story caught my attention because here's the bottom line. You know what happened in 2007, 2008, 2009 when you had the, the recession and all these people lost their jobs jobs well you know if you've got if you've got this massive amount of credit cards debt and then all of a sudden now one of you know one of the two of you you know you and your spouse one of the two just lost your job and so now you're really you know you're really going to be in trouble that's why it's almost counterintuitive because when times are good, everybody feels flush. Here, let let's spend like there's no tomorrow, and then you run up this debt. And again, that, that's why a little bit of debt is great. I, I'm not anti debt. If if, you, if people didn't go into debt, you'd never be able to buy cars. If people didn't buy go into debt, you'd never be able to buy houses or anything like that. But the problem is when you you think that you can just spend and spend and spend and pay that minimum payment and you go into debt and then all of a sudden something bad happens somebody gets sick somebody loses their job or whatever then you're really going to be in trouble and it's like i say it's almost counterintuitive to the extent that when times are good that's when you want to get yourself out of that that debt so you've got the credit cards as a backup if you ever need them mike and franklin mike you're on wtmj Hey, Jeff. I love your show. Thank you, sir. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, just sort of really quick, just want to pretty much just echo what you and some of the other callers have said. Um, I, I believe um, very much that there is a culture of living outside of your means mm-hmm. in this country, and that's perpetuated by the mass marketing and just the private industry trying to sell their products, which is how we keep going, and there's nothing wrong with it. At the same time, the financiers, the big credit card companies, they know the people who are have enough money to possess a credit card like you do, pay it off within a month, get the points, right. keep your credit rating strong, and um, still continue to kind of play with house money like you said. Right. They don't go after you, though, Jeff. Right, <laughs> right, yeah, right, yeah, exactly. <laughs> they go after the people that they know make 
probably between thirty and fifty-five thousand dollars a year. Um, live essentially what we would understand as check to check, um, and that will make minimum payments. Yep, that's what they're looking for. Are those minimum payments like what your other caller said? Because that's how you, you know, that's how you rack up the interest revenue. Right. So, it, yeah. I, I mean, I, I guess my last take on it, just real quick, is. It is what it is a little bit, unfortunately. You have to learn, like myself. I mean, I've gone through this myself. I've had to learn. You know, you just can't have that right now, Mike. You right, just no, can't buy that. And you, you so. got to say no. No, thank you. You can't go on that trip or et cetera. Let's talk to David in Mequon. Hi, David. You're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. A great show as always. Thank you, sir. So really quickly, um, you know, just to let you know, the credit card companies are making money every time the, the card is swiped. The, right. The, uh, the, you know, the place has to pay a portion of the fee, so don't feel too bad for it. <laughs> right, yeah. But, but, but uh, at the end of the day, um, you're correct. I mean, unfortunately, it's a ticking time bomb, and I do pay off my credit card uh, consistently, and if I don't, it's a very tiny amount, which would carry over, which, you know, it's not going to amount to that much interest. Right. But it's it's there for to give you the flexibility, like you say, to get points or to get uh, money sure. back. And unfortunately, my mother-in-law, uh, she, on the other hand, is like the worst person to have a credit card. Just do the thing where, you know, she makes a, maybe a payment a little bit more than the minimum interest uh, payment on it. Right. And it keeps eating her up alive. And I keep telling her, I said, you know, I, I told my wife that... Uh, She's got to got to somehow rein it in to say you can't put any more on the credit card because it's just going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And before you know it, you know, uh, who knows what could happen? You could file bankruptcy, Chapter 11. I don't know. I right. Mean, put put a lien on. Right. No, thanks for calling there. I'm sorry. I'm kind of against clock. But put a lien on the house, all those different types of, of, of situations because you're. You know, you're, you're paying 18%, 20%, whatever the interest rates. I, honest to goodness, don't know because, like I say, it has been years and years and years since I paid any interest on a credit card. But, I mean, th- these massive sort of like loan shark type of interest rates that you end up paying and then you get further and further in debt. It's a ticking time bomb. 1229, Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Gordon Lightfoot returns to the Paps Theater this summer on June 9th, and you could win tickets by listening to my show, playing hits like Sundown, If You Could Read My Mind, and, of course, The Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald. Gordon Lightfoot is sure to be a summer concert that cannot be missed. Stay tuned all week for your chance to win a pair of tickets to the show. During the 1 o'clock hour today, we will be giving away a pair of tickets. But uh, we'll have tickets to give away every day this week. How cool is that? But before we move on from the credit card conversation, and again, its I, I don't mean to channel Dave Ramsey or Clark Howard. It's just I was struck by this story that you know credit card debt is now at a record high and credit card delinquency, that is people who are 90 days or more in, in arrears, that is not making payments, that's at an all-time high as well. Here's a text. Jeff, when I was 22, in college, I had no clue how to responsibly use a credit card, but I was given access to $10,000 in credit. I cashed the $1,000 of cha- checks attached to the monthly credit card bills. Those checks had an interest rate of 29.99%. By graduation, I was in $10,000 of debt. I worked three jobs for a year and paid it off. It's a lesson I'll never forget, but I probably get 20 credit card offers a week now. I don't let my balance carry over ever. I mean, yeah, it's 
it, it's scary how much trouble that you can get in. Now, I have one of these texts saying, well, um, those who have children to support are in a different personal financial world than your perspective, I believe. Oh, okay. All right. But you can say that about anybody and, and anything. When, when I first got out of law school, when my late wife and I first bought our house, all right, we didn't have... The living room in the house sat vacant for five years, five years, because we really didn't have the money to furnish it like we wanted to furnish it. So we we just let it sit sit empty. And I mean, it was just one of those things where I, I didn't want to go. Have even more into debt, you know, given what we we take it on the house. I wanted to get a handle on that and get the loans at least paid down a little bit before we started doing things. Now, you know, that means we had an empty living room for five years, but it was one of those things where you sometimes have to delay gratification. And I guess I I understand that there's all sorts of justifications. And I understand there's people in all sorts of different financial positions, but. The truth of the matter is, if you are digging yourself a hole with credit card debt for everyday expenses, you are looking at a financial train wreck sooner or later. That That's just the reality. You have to figure out a way to either make money, more money, or spend less. But if you keep borrowing and borrowing and borrowing... Well, there's going to be a time of reckoning. And unfortunately, Americans appear to keep borrowing and borrowing and borrowing. And I understand why that's going on, because we've had a period of relatively good economic times over the last several years. But you know that's going to come to an end at some point, which now brings us, that is my segue, into what I want to discuss with you next. By the way, I sent out a note on this. If you follow me, at Jeff it, on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner six twenty. My, my New Year's resolution has been to try to be much better on Twitter, and I think in general I, I have been. I have several postings every day, including some of the things that we're going to be talking about. So if you want to get a head start, again, just follow me at at Jeff Wagner six twenty on Twitter. But we we have a budget process that is going on in in the state, and we have a new governor, and there there is a new figuratively speaking, sheriff in town. And there is a different philosophy. Scott Walker came into office eight plus years ago with a Republican legislature on a promise that we were not only not going to raise the tax burden on the citizens of the state of Wisconsin, but we were going to do things that ended up lowering that tax burden. And and you saw that that has, has pretty much happened. Now, there's no question that there have been some winners and losers, but in general, while we still remain a relatively high-tax state, we have stabilized that. Governor Tony Evers is ready to kind of blow the doors off that. So he he has his, his new budget that's out there that's probably going nowhere in the state legislature, but the new budget is out there. But what he's saying, and he was at a play, he was um, giving a speech yesterday, and he said, "Well, here's the deal." He said, "Yes, we're we're continuing to freeze the tuition for UW for UW students, which you know that that's a great thing, but we're not going to be able to do that unless we raise everybody else's taxes. We're not going to be able to do the road building that we'd all like to do unless we raise everybody's taxes." Um, Evers, let's see. Depending on on how you look at it, he wants somewhere between one B as in billion dollars to six B as in billion dollars. And that's a big range, but it depends on how you look at his wish wish list. But no matter how you cut it, he is looking at massive increases in taxes to help fund his agenda. 
Now, he's talking about, for example, just as starters, you know, an eight cent per gallon increase in the gas tax, taking it from 33 cents a gallon to 41 cents a gallon just for the state tax. Interestingly, the governor of Michigan, same time Tony Evers was talking about his tax increases, the governor of Michigan, she was talking about her. She's a newly elected Democrat. She came out and said, here, um, our gas tax has been 26 cents a gallon. I want to jack it up to 45 cents a gallon in the same thing to pay for some of the stuff that I want to pay for. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. For the last eight years, the, the message that has been adopted, at least by a majority of the voters in this state, is we do not want to see our taxes increased. We don't want to pay more in a gas tax. We don't want to pay more in state income tax. We don't want to pay more in property tax, with the exception of referendums for schools that voters have, you know, on an individual basis now been passing with pretty much regularity. But here here is my question for you, and it is a sincere one. Is the era of, of tax restraint over? Have we reached a point now in 2019 where collectively we've decided, you know what, we're not paying enough in in taxes and we want more things from government? So whether it's an increase in the state income tax or an increase in the property tax or an increase in the gas tax or an increase in that tax or another tax, we don't care anymore. You know, bring it on. Or our taxes still a concern for you. I'll tell you how I feel about this, and we'll discuss in just a moment. But 414-799-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Tax Line. Taxes have been a big deal over the last eight years. Do we care about this anymore? Do you care if your taxes go up to fund all sorts of things? We're back. Let's start with Dave on the south side. Dave, good afternoon. Yeah, Jeff. Uh, the one thing that the Republicans haven't figured out is how to pay for the fixies roads in the last eight years at all. That they haven't figured out. And I don't know when they're going to figure that out. Well, cool. What, what's your answer? You're, if you're the king, what do you do? Um, probably an increase in the, in the vehicle registration I do first before the gas tax. Because the vehicle registration is... What is it generally? A hundred bucks or 70, less? Seventy-five bucks for, yeah. for the state, yeah. and then then if you live in the if you live in Milwaukee County, it's more. If you live in the Milwaukee city of Milwaukee, it's more. But it's seventy-five bucks statewide. Yeah. So if you had to take it up to a hundred or one hundred twenty-five to to fix the roads, I'd be willing to do that. Hey, yeah, I'm today. I'm asking. I'm curious when you say when you say fix the roads, what what do you mean? Do you mean uh, eliminate potholes? Potholes everywhere. There's some roads that haven't been touched in 10, 15 years. Mm-hmm. What about road building? What What about, you know, some of the, these massive road projects? Do Do we need to undertake them or maybe roll some of them back? Because that's where the big money is. The, the big money, let's face it, isn't fixing isn't fixing potholes. It's rebuilding interchanges and things like but that. But the 94 project's already been in the works, so mm-hmm. I would assume they're going to still do that. Yeah, right. So it's... Right. They'll have to do it, yeah. Okay, thanks for the call. I, I mean, I just I just throw this out there because I mean, I, I hear a lot of people say, okay, well, we we want to increase the taxes because we have to fix the roads. Well, I, okay, just trust me on this one. You know, if the gas tax goes up eight eight cents a gallon, if you think that means that the pothole that's on your street is suddenly going to get fixed 
quicker than it would otherwise be fixed. I, I Again, make sure you duck your shoulder you know, so you don't hurt yourself when you're falling off the turnip truck. I mean, the big spending is these huge and these massive road-building projects that they have all around the state, which, again, I'm not arguing their merits one way or the other. But when I when I hear fix the roads, it's kind of like, okay, well, what exactly do you think is, is going to happen here? Because most of this is going to be on that. But, again, with Tony Evers, we're not just talking about the, the roads. I mean, that's only a small part of where we're talking about spending. You know, he's taught I – mean, the, the, Increasing the gas tax isn't going to have anything to do, for example, with paying for you know increased salaries for UW professors if the tuition is frozen. I mean, you're you're going to be talking about increases in the state income tax. You're going to be talking about increases in property taxes. You're going to be in talking about increases in the gas tax. I guess the question becomes: Does does this create a, a problem, or or are we ready to pay more? Because for years and years and years and years and years, that's what happened in Wisconsin. You know, we became a very, very high tax state. It, it, we're still a high tax state, but not, not as much. David in Krivitz. David, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hello. How are you today? I am well, thank you. What do we do here? Well, my opinion is yes, the roads need to be fixed, but I feel they need to just increase the sin taxes on the alcohol, cigarettes, and marijuana. Mm-hmm. So you would legalize marijuana and tax it? Definitely. Tax okay. it high. Okay. I believe they could generate plenty of income from that to fix our major roads and all the major constructions on it. Mm-hmm. Okay, if you if you let's say let's say you do legalize recreational use of pot and then you tax it at whatever rate you're gonna tax it, would would you say that money then has to be used on the roads? Well, that's what they're wanted for, definitely. Hopefully our state government would see the light and do the jobs on our roads. Okay, now thanks for the call. I, I, see, I just I bring this up because, you know, one of the problems we had years and years ago is you had former governors who raided the transportation fund. That is, they took money that was supposed to be dedicated for roads and they used it for other general budget items. I, I'm, I'm here to tell you, and I, I passed this way but once, that what the stuff that the new governor is talking about, you know, if you look at his wish list of stuff, it's, I mean, State Senator Alberta Darling, who's on the Joint Finance Committee, she says there's $6 B as in billion dollars in spending. And trust me, you don't get the $6 B as in billion dollars in spending by by increasing the gas tax $0.08. Cents. You're talking about massive tax increases all across the board, which raises, I think, the fundamental question of, you know, how much and, and what? Would you support a massive increase in the state income tax? Do you care if your property taxes go up another four or $500 a, a year? I mean, that, that's, that is what real, we're really grappling with. And regardless of where you come down on, on the gas tax, that's only one sort of small element. Now, I understand it's an element that people, you know, latch on to because I'm driving on the same, you know, crappy pothole ridden roads that, that you are. We were, my wife and I were in the car yesterday, and then she, two days ago, yesterday, you know, she picked me up because we had, we had her car in the shop, and, and I was kind of kidding her because I think, and it's not her fault, I think she hit like every pothole in like a, a three mile radius there, but it's not her fault because it's almost impossible to dodge these things. So I, I, this idea that here, if we're going to have this massive tax increase, oh, it's all of a sudden the roads are going to be great. Well, 
okay, let's remember that a couple years from now if Evers runs for re-election. Now, here's a couple texts. Jeff, I do not want to pay anymore. I live in Milwaukee. The roads are crappy. Our vehicles have needed work every year due to the roads in our house. The roads will have me make out of Milwaukee before, you know, crime will have me move out of Milwaukee before crime ever will. George says, we don't have a revenue problem. The problem is we have a spending problem. Now, see, that's the other point that I make when it comes to government in general, including transportation. I am not convinced at all that we have eliminated all the waste and the fat and the largesse and the sweetheart deals that go to some of these big contractors who make enormous political uh, contributions. I'm not convinced at all that we have eliminated all that. Matter of fact, I mean, how many stories have we had over the last decade, the Walker administration, the Doyle administration, where you find just money that even in the transportation budget is just absolutely and totally peed away? Um, whether it's overbilling or whether it's work not done but billed for and then nobody decides to pursue the matter. I mean, I, I think that's where you have to start when you're talking about stuff like that. Um, here's another text. I am not in favor of increased spending. What I never hear but would like to is reduced government size and departments in charge of cost savings. In addition, the biggest problem I see is how many people are not paying any taxes. If more people had skin in the game, there wouldn't be such a call for increased spending, um, et cetera, et cetera. See, this is the debate that, that we have to have. And I guess part of the problem is the way it's going to be framed in the media is, gee, the, the roads are crappy. Are you sick of that giant pothole in front of your house? And everybody is going to say, yeah, the, the roads are crappy. And, yes, I'm sick of that giant pothole in front of my house. But does that suddenly mean that you want to sign on to massive tax increases? Do you want to go back to where we were 10 years ago? And, you know, what is that going to do to the economy of the state of Wisconsin? These are questions that we got to answer. It's 1254. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So, Eric Bilstadt, we are I'm I'm a little bit older than you are. Did you grow up? Did you watch professional wrestling when you were a kid? I did watch a little bit of that. Yes. When you say a little bit, were you a fan I, or not? I, really, I, I wasn't. I wasn't like you. I, I, <laughs> I wasn't like you. Okay. It, so if it was on occasionally, but you didn't get. Yeah, have you ever yeah. been to a professional wrestling? Never match? been. Never. Never been. been to a professional wrestling match. Well, there's still time. There, no, there's there's still time. All right, okay. Well, I'm just there's nothing wrong with it one way or the other. I, okay. I I've, I've told this story before, so bear with me if you've heard it. I, I come with my fascination with pro- professional wrestling. It it is it is genetic. My my mom and dad my were, were both from from Maryland. My dad was from Baltimore. My mom was from Southern Maryland, and we moved out here when I was like nine years old. But but before that, my mom's parents passed away. I never knew. I never knew my maternal grandfather mm. or, or grandmother they passed away. But my my mother's my father's parents, nanny and pop, they they lived in a little row house in, in Baltimore. And some of my first memories, like when my parents would go out on Saturday nights, they would take me over, and and my grandparents would would babysit. So they they, they, they like drop me off on Saturday nights. Okay, and I can remember, and I'd spend the night, and they'd pick me up the next day. Sure. They, you know, they'd go out babysitting, and I I still remember 
what, what on, on Saturday nights, Baltimore, Maryland, and this is like I, I'm probably like five, six years years old. Um, they they would have professional wrestling. It would be like the the syndicated thing. It was from the Northeast. It was Bruno San Martino and Bobo Brazil and all these people. <laughs> I, I remember this. And my grandmother would make. I, they were some of the best hamburgers I ever had, and we would sit on TV trays. You know, these TV trays? We would sit in the living room, and they had this black – this is before color TVs. Only rich people had color TVs. They would have the big black and white TV set, and we would watch, like, the wrestling, you know, at that went from, like, 5 to 7 o'clock at night or whatever. And my grandmother, God bless her, even even at the age of 5 or 6, I, I just – I thought – this was kind of, you know, it's not that wrestling is fake because they really do what they say is it's scripted. You know, it's I mean, the falls that they take and the, the hits that these guys have. I mean, a lot of those are real, but the, the results are scripted. Yeah, you know, they're yeah, predetermined. Yeah. You could never convince my grandmother of that. You just could. <laughs> she'd be cheering. She'd be screaming. She'd be yelling at the referee. Wow. Turn around. Turn around. And, and that was true. After my grandfather died, we were in Milwaukee. My grandmother moved out here. She had her own place and then lived with us for a while. And so I, I grew up here, you know, watching the American Wrestling Association, the Vern Gagne thing with the Crusher and the okay. Bruiser yeah, and yeah. Mad Dog Vashon and all that type of stuff. And and to her dying day, my grandmother would religiously, on, on weekends, she would watch the thing that used to be on Channel 18 or Channel 24 or whatever. She'd religiously watch it. And to her dying day, you know, you could never convince her, don't even try. That these results that it was scripted or pretty, she'd be screaming, "Turn around, Crusher! Turn around! Oh, look at that! I can't believe that Mad Dog did that!" And I just, whenever I talk about that, I just it just brings back such fond memories. But I mean, I can remember when I was growing up, they used to have wrestling matches at what was then the the Milwaukee Auditorium. Now mm-hmm. it's next to Panther, you know, Panther Arena, whatever they call the uh, Milwaukee Theater yep, now, I yes, guess. Yep. But it used to be the Milwaukee Auditorium, and they'd have these wrestling matches there, and, you know, we'd go down, and you'd, it, we just we just kind of had fun. I never took it too seriously. And then, ultimately, the American Wrestling Association got run out of business, and Vince McMahon's WWF, um, now WWE, yep. right. um, but it, it took over, and you'd have Hulk Hogan, and you'd have all these things. And I, I went to matches. You know, my producer grew. He still goes to wrestling matches. Yeah? So it's the same when you see it live? It doesn't seem phonier or faker when it's in person? Well, it seems more real. He says it seems more real. I think you, the the truth is you have to have a sort of suspension of belief (laughs) about the, about, okay, Okay, you got to go in. It's kind of like when you're reading a book or you're watching like a James Mm -hmm. Bond movie or something like that or, you know, any sort of action movie and you go, I don't think you could really outrun that fireball, or I don't think that car can really jump over the cliff. But if you go into it with the right mindset, that it's it's just sort of, it's it's like a giant play or something, okay. right. it can still be fun. But having said that, I mean, I haven't been in years and years. I don't know any of the current wrestlers, but I, it was a part of my growing up. So, see, this is what you missed. you got to get your kids into this. All right, all right. All we, right. Can, we can work that out. Okay, so that is a long way of leading into but I, I always have to kind of tell that, that story because it, it's I like to think that I come with my affection of, of professional wrestling. I come legitimately. I mean, I kind of grew up in that. And I think a lot of us... If you grew up like I did in this year, you, you know what I'm talking about. You know, you share that that kind of thing. I mention this because today a guy named Christopher Pallies passed away. If I said Christopher Pallies, you probably don't know who that is. But if I said King Kong Bundy died, you would go, yeah, King Kong Bundy. King Kong Bundy, six foot four, 
They billed him as 458 pounds. I don't know if that was legitimate, but he was probably 400 pounds if he was an ounce. 400 plus pounds. He was in the World Wrestling Federation since 1981. His highlight was probably when he and Hulk Hogan wrestled in a steel cage match at WrestleMania number two. But he was this major league, generally most of his career he, he was he was a villain, and you know he worked with a lot of the biggest names of that particular era. King Kong Bundy also kind of crossed over into other aspects of pop culture. If you watch the old Married with Children TV show, he, he would he would make occasional appearances on Married with Children. Um, he he was on some Sports Center commercials that they they did. I mean, he, he was in his time. He was it was a really big deal. And if you grew up watching wrestling in in the eighties. Or you were an adult watching wrestling in the eighties. You, you know who King Kong Bundy was. I, I saw. I sent out. A, I sent out a, a link to this story, and my, my comment on on Twitter was that you know I, I saw him wrestle a, a few times, and I, I thought I thought he was just great. He was this enormous guy who you know. I mean, he played a villain. I mean, I think most of his roles were as a villain. They, they always like. Sometimes they would have these turns and they'd be a good guy. But most of the time, you know, he was big and menacing and bald and just huge. And he he, he ended up playing a, a villain. But, I mean, I thought he was really, really entertaining. And it was this wonderful era that he was a part of. All right. I thought there's all this really serious stuff going on in the world. But I thought we would take one segment. And um, in light of the passing of King Kong Bundy, want to let you take a Walk down memory lane, and how far you choose to walk down is up to you. But my guess is you perhaps had the same upbringing that I had. And and maybe it wasn't in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Maybe it was in Chicago, or maybe it was in Baltimore, or maybe it was in New York, or maybe it was somewhere. But my guess is, boys and girls, you probably grew up watching a little bit of this a little bit of the wrestling, whether it was the regional promotions before everything went national. But in honor of the passing of King Kong Bundy, here's my question. All right, who was the best wrestler that you ever saw? And you can define best however you want. You can define best as, oh, this guy was incredibly talented and what an athlete. You can say best was, boy, I saw this guy wrestle... And what a showman. It was so incredibly entertaining. The crowd absolutely hated him. Or I love this gimmick or whatever. Let's take a walk down memory lane. Um, anytime, anywhere, best wrestler you ever saw. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Back with your calls in a moment. This is Jeff Wagner on WGMJ. Welcome back. Here's a text. That's funny you say that about your grandma. When I was younger, my grandma also believed this. I got such a kick out of her being into this. Would have never pictured it. Yeah, that's the that's just the, the cool thing. You could never, ever, don't even bother trying to convince my grandmother that this was not real. I can just remember her screaming, Bruno, this is Bruno Sammartino, who's a champion. Bruno, 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 turn around, look out for that. Um, let's see, Patrick says, Stone Cold Steve Austin, I'm only 30, so I don't have to go that far back to go, but he was my favorite, followed by The Rock. Let's start with, uh, let's see, Ismar in Brookfield, you're on WTMJ, good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Hi. Thanks for the call. Thanks for calling, Hi. what do you think? I actually agree with the text you just read off. Uh, I'm also 30, and one of my biggest, I'm a, one of the bigger fans of Stone Cold. He uh, drank a lot of beer and destroyed <laughs> a lot of cars. <laughs> did, did, did you ever see him in person, live? 
Uh, yes, once when I was younger. Okay. Came into town. Okay, so you you've been you mean you've gone to the wrestling matches live? Yes, once. Yeah. Did you have fun? It was a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah, it, 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 it is. I mean, they sort of call you. I mean, of course, Stone Cold Austin was, he was kind of that, that next generation of, of wrestlers, like the, after the Hulk Hogan era, you had Stone Cold, and he's still around. I mean, he's still doing stuff, although you have to be careful because he messed up his neck, um, quite a bit. 414-799-1620. Ron in Fond du Lac. Ron, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, thanks for having me on. Hi, Ron. I called Hogan because he had probably one of the greatest fans. Uh, clubs following him. He was one of the most uh, famous and even created little toys and statues and things, uh, play models of him. Yeah. Hulk Hogan, whose life after you know, his his superstar era has kind of been a complete and total mess. But yeah, he revolutionized the industry. There, there's no question about it. I mean, he's the guy that let Vince McMahon take his wrestling operation nationwide, and he built it around Hulk Hogan and WrestleMania one and WrestleMania two with King Kong Bundy and WrestleMania three with I'm I'm not I'm not proud that I know this off the top of my head, but I do with uh, Andre the Giant. I mean, those were incredible well, I things. Those, I remember those days, right? Yeah. No, and thanks and. and it was Hulk Hogan. It was the strength of his personality. Holly in Janesville. Holly, you're on WTMJ. Well, hello. Thanks for having me. Hi, Holly. Give me the female perspective on pro wrestling. Huh. <laughs> uh, well, I only got into it because my aunt took my brother and I circa about 1971, 72. So right. I'm in my 50s. So <laughs> at the time, you know, we saw him all. We saw the Crusher. We saw Vern Gagne, Greg Gagne. But my favorite was... Wahoo McDaniel. Oh, Wahoo McDaniel. Yeah, with the, Wahoo with McDaniel, the... he came out in a full head suit, you know, the headdress and everything. And when he had had enough tormenting, he would go on the warpath and he'd run around the, <laughs> yeah. the, the rink and he'd do his little dance and he'd you, give him the tomahawk. You, you could not do that. It was about as politically incorrect by 2019 well, standards as you can imagine. You could yeah, not do that now. Oh, for sure, but that's a whole nother discussion. Right. Too. I always, I always respected. I thought it was very cool, and yeah, and and I don't believe in all of that. You know, warriors, like you know, yeah, warriors. You should respect it. I never took it in a bad way, but that's another discussion. Thanks for the call, Holly. Yeah, that's um, the the Marquette. Wahoo McDaniel. I'm not proud. I know this either, but he was a linebacker for the New York Jets before he played football. Before. Before the merger, I think, when you had the old AFL and the NFL, before they merged, um, I think he was a linebacker, I want to say, for the New York Jets, as I recall. 414-799-1620. Mike in Milwaukee. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, you turkey neck. (laughs) The Crusher, of course. Right. The South Milwaukee's own. The the Crusher, right? They're built. That that statue of him is going up sometime this year, I think. I think they've got the statue all set. Uh, it's supposed to be. Yeah. It's, you know, what, what was so great about the Crusher is, I mean, he just completely embraced his Milwaukee roots. Route. I mean, I, I can remember the interviews he do. I got this fight with Mad Dog Vashon, and I, I'm training for it. I got a keg of beer on my shoulder, and I'm running up to Sheboygan and running back. It was, he, he was just an absolutely great interview. And when he badmouthed them, what did he say? Does he drink two cases of beer? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's Milwaukee's own DeCrusher. No, they're, right, they're putting. Um, I just I saw the article the other day that the statue is going up sometime soon. Let's see. Let's talk to um, Kurt and Racine. Kurt, you're on WTMJ. Um, yeah, I, I, thanks for having me. Um, 
I would probably say the best wrestler is probably Hulk Hogan, but I grew up in the AWA era, and probably the best tag team uh, group was the High Flyers with Jumpin' Jim Bronzel. And Greg Gagne. Uh, Greg Gagne. <laughs> I'm not proud I knew that off the top of my head either, but I did, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I remember watching, like you say, your grandma. Um, I mean, I remember going to my grandma. My grandma and grandpa's on Saturday night, and then Sunday morning they always had like uh, wrestling, right? AWA on like before like bowling with the champs or whatever. <laughs> right. and, you know, we used to watch that. Yeah, I, no, it, it's thanks to You know, it, it's kind of like this. It's sort of this rite of passage, and and I don't know. I, I'm trying to think of when I first started going to the, and I didn't go. They have them like in Milwaukee. It was at the auditorium. They'd have them like every third or every fourth Saturday, and I didn't go to all of them. But I can remember going to a few of them, and 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 you'd see the guys. Uh, uh, half the time, a bunch of them wouldn't show up because you know for whatever reason, and so they'd have to adjust the card and all. But it was it was something cool watching these guys there in person. You'd see these people that you saw on TV, and you know you never really realized that those things that we were watching on on TV were they were filmed in some little tiny TV studio in Minneapolis. But you didn't care about um, that. Autumn in Fond du Lac says she saw Jesse the Body Ventura live, and she loved it. Um, <laughs> there's, there's just, let's see. Many years ago, we took my son and a friend of his to see All-Star Wrestling in Rockford, Illinois. The people around us were yelling and giving the one-finger salute, and my friend said that they're playing with their hands, trying to figure out how to make their fingers do the same thing. We won't forget that. Yeah, there's no question about it. Bottom line is... It's just, I think it was a perhaps a kinder, simpler time, and I just love the characters. And you know, the, the truth of the matter is, being a professional wrestler, it is you know, you you have old people and you have wrestlers. You don't have too many old wrestlers, especially back in the day, because I mean, they drive everywhere. The lifestyle was tough. It's tough on your body. Lots and lots of wrestlers, you know, died in their thirties and forties and the fifties. King Kong Bundy, sixty-one years old, rest in peace. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. All right, we have our winner, the tickets to see Gordon Lightfoot. Keep listening. We'll have more tickets to give away as the week rolls on. All right, I am, in addition to trying to tweet more, this is my New Year's resolution, and Gru, who's producing the show today and always, I, I think I've been pretty good at that. I mean, four tweets today, follow me, at Jeff Wagner 620 In addition to doing that and reminding people to download and subscribe to the podcast, you can go to WTMJ.com or our mobile app, and we make it really easy, and I know thousands and thousands of people do that, so you can listen to the program anytime you want. If you miss a little bit, you can check it out. I know a lot of folks do that, and I appreciate it. So, I mean, my New Year's resolutions related to, uh, again, work were I, I was going to try to tweet more. I was going to try to, like, again, encourage and direct people to the, the podcast more. And I want to be more of the glasses half full guy. I mean, that's just kind of the goal. So let, let's face it. The last month and a half of winter has... Well, it's just stunk. And I understand we, we live in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, or we live in Racine, Wisconsin, or we live in Wisconsin, so you understand that winters are going to be bad. The last, I think, six or seven weeks have been particularly bad because when you thought there was light at the end of the tunnel, there turned out to be a train coming the other way. Well, okay, 
in my glasses half full thing and 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 part of the thing that really gets me is I again I've got this little dog who needs to go outside and you know you, you take her outside and you can just see you know just as she tries to walk around and find a spot in the snow it's just like hurting her paws it breaks my heart it absolutely breaks my heart but but you know all right this is not going to last I'm looking at the long range forecast so today Stupid cold. It's like 18 degrees outside, and tonight it's supposed to go down to single digits. Tomorrow, 25 single digits. But starting Thursday, you know, the lows are supposed to be like in the upper teens, 17. Still stupid cold for this time of year. High of 24. Friday, the high of right around freezing. And then Saturday, it's going to look like it's going to rain. But if that means if it's going to rain, it's got to get at least a little warmer. Saturday's high, 38. Sunday's high, 38. Monday, 35. It's not like it's exactly a balmy heat wave. But then, you know, throughout a good portion of next week, highs in the mid to upper 30s. Um, so at least... At least, again, it looks like it's getting better, and presumably we're not going to see any more of these kind of polar vortexes. Now, it's still, you can make an argument that, you know, 35 degrees on March 14th is nothing to write home about, to which I'm not going to argue that point with you. But the bottom line is, you know, you know, it's getting a little bit better. That is my glasses half full perspective on things. All right. I want to talk a little bit about the, the, person they're calling the the terrorist bride maybe you've seen the story we have not discussed this before but it raises i mean there's a legal issue here and i'll kind of describe it but then i want to talk about the bigger picture that involved it it, the the isis bride is a 24 year old woman her name is hoda mathana right she's 24 years old I'll tell you her background in just a minute, but why do you call her the ISIS bride? Well, because what happened is she was she was going to college um, in Alabama, I believe. Yeah, she was at the University of Alabama at Birmingham. In 2014, she told her parents that she was going to Atlanta as part of a field trip. Well, she didn't go to Atlanta. What she did was she withdrew from college. She got reimbursed for her tuition. She purchased a plane ticket to Turkey. She then traveled from Turkey to Syria. Once she got to Syria, she married. Now, she's she's ultimately been married twice. She married, first of all, an ISIS fighter who died in in battle in a battle with like u.s troops right with with troops then after the first terrorist the isis fighter died she married again she married a second isis fighter who was also killed after after that you know she stayed with the terrorist enclave and in december of last year she then fled to a refugee camp as isis lost control of what was going on in Syria and Iraq. So when things started going bad for ISIS, she bailed, and now she's in this refugee camp. All right, she is believed to be only one of two American women who are in this particular refugee camp. She also has a four-year-old son that was fathered by one of the the terrorists um, who had passed away. All right, when she was in Syria, so this is before the refugee camp, 
she um, was very active. She was kind of a propaganda tool. She called for the deaths. She went to on social media and called for the deaths of Americans. Um, she called for the murder of Barack Obama. Um, and in general, in general, she was a propaganda tool that that was was used. And here you have this woman, supposedly an American woman. She's got an American passport. She's a U.S. citizen. We'll get to that in just a minute. But, you know, here she is. She's married to the ISIS fighters, and she's calling for, you know, death to America, et cetera, et cetera. Her story now is that, well, she didn't really mean any of that. She was just, she was just brainwashed at the time. Now she wants to come back to the United States. And this is where it gets a little bit interesting. I'll tell you about that in just a moment. Stick around. Okay, so I'm telling the story about this ISIS bride, the the woman who, her name is Hoda Muthana. She says she becomes radicalized online. In 2014, she leaves this country. She goes to Turkey, ends up in Syria, marries not once but twice of these terrorists, both of whom are, are killed in battles with U.S. forces or U.S.-supported forces. Once things start going bad for ISIS in Syria, she now she ends up in a refugee camp with her four-year-old son from one of the terrorists. And now she wants to come back to the U.S., and the U.S. isn't letting her in. Now, here's, here's the legal issue, and I don't want to get too far in the weeds on this. The, the question is, is she a U.S. citizen? Because her father was was a diplomat in, in let me back up in this country we have this thing called birthright citizenship we've talked about it before if you are born in the country you become a citizen regardless of the nationality of your parents you know, so this comes up a lot of times when let's say you have two people who are in the country illegally from mexico for the sake of argument the the woman gives birth the child becomes a U.S. citizen because the child was born on U.S. soil, even though mom and dad aren't. That's, you know, there's a controversy, and we've talked about it with birthright citizenship. There is an exception to that, that law. Isn't there always an exception to stuff? And that is if you are, if you are born to a foreign diplomat, and in this case, when the woman was originally born, her parents were diplomats from Yemen who were in this country. If you are the child of a diplomat that's in this country, and it gets technical, but the the argument is because the U.S. doesn't have jurisdiction over you since you're a foreign diplomat, you don't get birthright citizenship. So if the dad was a diplomat at the time she was born, she's not a U.S. citizen. That's that's it. Now, the legal argument that's bearing out now is – you know, was the dad still a diplomat? The dad says, I had stopped being a diplomat two months before she was born. The government says, well, actually, you know, no, you know, your, your credentials weren't revoked until six months after she was born. So there's this legal issue as to whether she's ever been a citizen. 
Um, she had a U.S. passport because nobody you know, checked this out one way or the other. The government has revoked this. So anyhow, that's the legal issue. She's in this refugee camp. There's a trial that's going on. It just started yesterday in federal court to determine whether or not she's a citizen in the first place. Because if she's a citizen, she should, I guess, be she'll, she'll be allowed to come back into this country. She's subject to being prosecuted for all sorts of things, I would imagine, including treason. But but she wants out of the refugee camp. She now wants a do-over. She kind of wa- she wants to say, well, I was brainwashed. I made a real mistake. Now I, I want to come back into this country. I know that you know I married these ISIS fighters. I know that I was calling for the death to Americans. But I made a really bad mistake, and I, I want to come back. Get me out of this refugee camp, and let me bring my child home. And whether or not she comes home is ultimately going to be determined by. This whole question of what was her father's status in this country when she was born 24 years ago. And if she comes back, she will be subject to, again, prosecution. And she says she she knows that. I think this is interesting, not necessarily for the the nuance of the legal issue, but I think it's interesting as to whether or not whether or not she should be allowed back into the country. And by that, I mean, forget about the law. Forget about the law as to whether or not she has to be allowed back in the country. You know, the the judge will decide that. But I want to talk about the larger point. You know, if you have somebody, and let us say for the sake of argument that they are an American citizen, and they decide to do what this lady did. She becomes radicalized. She goes, you know, flees the country. She ends up, you know, in a hotbed of terrorism. She marries not one but two terrorists who are trying to kill, you know, United States soldiers. She's a major propaganda piece on social media. Then things go badly. All right. Things go badly for ISIS. Now she ends up in a refugee camp. And now she's saying, well, gee, I'm really sorry. I was brainwashed. I, I didn't mean this. I want to do over. Should the country let her back in? And, and should they be required to? And again, forget the legalities. The judge will decide that. But how do you feel about it? Is this the type of thing that the government should be able to say, look, you left this country. You gave aid and comfort to our enemies. You actively supported people in trying to overthrow the U.S. government and kill Americans. And you know what? You left this country. Boom. That's it. We're revoking your citizenship you just stay where you are. And the fact that you don't like to be in the refugee camp, I understand it, but you have made your bed, now you need to lie in it. Or should we say, well, no, if she's a citizen, let her back in, let her suffer the consequences. Maybe she gets prosecuted for this, that, or the other thing, and maybe she has to spend some time in jail, but she should be given a second chance, and after paying her debt to society, Let's let her back into America. 414-799-1620. That is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What, in your opinion, should happen to the, the ISIS bride? And even assuming for the sake of argument that she is a citizen, do you think that this is the type of thing that she should be let back into the country? Or should we be able to say, no, all things considered, sorry, you left we want nothing more to do with you. 414-799-1620. I'll tell you where I come down on this in just a minute. But I'm curious as to what you think. Back to discuss. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. 
This is Jeff Wagner, Bob in Hartford. Bob, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, how you doing? Real well, thank you. Should we let her back in? Not a chance. No way she should be allowed back in our country. You know, I... No, I, I was going to say, I, I agree. And again, I, I'm putting aside whatever the legal requirements are for a second. We're just talking about what should happen. It, it would seem to me to be amazing that you could have somebody who effectively renounces in 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 word and deed their U.S. citizenship, assuming she was ever a citizen, goes across to a foreign country, gives aid and comfort to the enemy, acts as a propaganda tool, and then would be able to get a chance to say, oh, never mind, I want to come back in. That, 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 that can't be what the law is, or at least it shouldn't be what the law is. Exactly. I mean, just because things stopped going, you know, the way she, you know, they were going for her and things went south, so I was like, no, the whole, you know, the good life is done now, I, I better, you know, go back there. Well, here, right. So. I mean, I, you know, I think that's a fair question. No, thanks. I mean, th- that is now if you listen to her father, who's in this country and, and you know, the lawyers, it's well, you know, she was she was just brainwashed by by the, these people. And and, you know, she she really regrets what she ended up doing. I guess that's one way. The other way, if you want to be cynical, is all right, th- this terrorist thing didn't work out too well because ISIS has now gotten routed and she doesn't like living in this refugee camp. So now it's like, okay, well, you know, let me come back in. And I guess I just, again, the federal judge is going to decide what the law is and whether they have to let her back in. And I understand if they bring her back in, she's subject to prosecution for a variety of things. But I just, it's it would be amazing to me that you would have to bring somebody back in Let's, again, take the issue of citizenship out. You do these things. You go overseas. You align yourself with this terrorist organization. You give aid and comfort to the enemy. You're a propaganda tool. And then you say, well, never mind. I want to come back. Huh. Rudy in Milwaukee. Rudy, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi. How's it going? I'm well, thank you. What do you think? Should they let her back in? Uh, I don't think so. I don't think she should be let back into the country. Um, once you show one face towards the country and now you're helping your enemy, as you said, I don't think you should have the accessibility to come back to a country after you just yeah. pretty much denounced us as a country. And now that they went south on you, now you're asking for a second chance. I don't think that's how it works in general with, with the country, with relationships, with anything. You can't, you can't talk bad about an enemy and then go with them and then come back to a country. You already planted a seed that you don't like a country. Well, so, well, right. I mean, well, but but she says she was brainwashed, Rudy. She says, <clears throat> never, never mind. You know, forget about the last four years. I just, I just didn't think this thing through when I was being used as this propaganda tool and calling for the murder of American citizens and the murder of President Obama. I, I, that, that, that wasn't really me. I've changed my mind on that. Never mind. I want a do over. That's that's still see that she planted inside the head. I, I I don't I don't agree with her coming back into the country because now I feel that she would be, uh, in a sense, a threat to to the country still. Well, you I mean thanks thanks for, you you would I guess you would think so, and that has been one of the stunning things about this whole conversation to me is that that you're even having this debate. Now I understand maybe the law says that that's that's what you have to discuss, but I would think if any citizen leaves this country, does what she ended up doing. That would be effectively a renouncement of your citizenship. And the idea that you could just return after you change your mind just strikes me as being wrong. Margaret in Germantown. Margaret, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, how are you? Very well, thank you. What do you think about all this? Um, I think that it's very interesting that she's got a four-year-old son with a terrorist. 
So even if she is allowed in the United States and is prosecuted, what's supposed to happen to this child who now has a martyred mother, a terrorist father, who's supposed to be responsible for him? Right. And he's going to bring to the table. I don't believe she should be let back in, and I don't believe um, all of that, but there's a kid here. So what about him? Well, right. And that's the interesting thing, because the, the kid was born in Syria, I, I believe. Um, but but since he was born to an American, if, if she's an American citizen, then the kid would be an American citizen. So you know, the government says we don't think she's a citizen. So that's the basic premise. But yeah, what what do you do? And I don't have a good answer to that. What do you do with the child? Um, you know, and, and when the child comes back, how do you handle that? Because at, at the best case scenario, if the court says the woman's got to come back, I don't know about you, but I want her prosecuted for treason or whatever crime she may have been may have committed. You can't let her get away with this one way or the other i totally agree so that's where does the son all of a sudden become now you know they killed my mother when she tried to become an american does he go against america just for what not only they did to his mother but also his father, and, right? And yeah, and the father's ideologist. No, no, thanks. It, it it's just a it's a flat out mess. Again, the, the 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 legal question, which isn't what we were talking about. The legal question is, was she a citizen at the time she was born? And it has to do with again the father's diplomatic status. I think the bigger question is, you know, do, do we want these people after they do this? Why should we have to take them back into this country? This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. I have received at least a half dozen emails in the last 20 minutes from people saying, Jeff, we must have had the same grandmother. If you weren't listening at the start of the last hour, I was telling this story, and I, I, I admit I've told this before about how my my, my grandmother just I, I came by my affection for professional wrestling honestly. My my grandmother used to watch professional wrestling on the black and white TV st- thing, and to her dying day, she she never ever ever would believe that the results weren't predetermined. It's, it's, I mean, you gave up doing it, but she, she would yell at the TV set and all, and I, I have at least a half dozen emails and or texts from people saying, we must have had the same grandmother. And we're, we're just, everybody, we're just thinking about that. And I just... It just, it just, she just, she just bought into that, and and that was fine. All right. Speaking of wrestling, I want to revisit something we talked about a couple weeks ago because there has been a new development. If you are a regular listener to this program, you know that I am not a huge fan of the WIAA, the organization that regulates high school sports. I think, um, candidly, I I think the organization. How could I say this? I'm going to say screwed up, and we'll we'll just leave it at that. This this is the organization that, and I understand the WIA says, well, you know, we we are just it's our members that make the rules, so there's not much we can do. But I mean, this is the organization that allows a convicted felon to play high school basketball. Matter of fact, the kid the kid is still the convicted felon is still playing high school basketball. You get tossed off a team for I don't know, drinking being at a beer party, but you can be a convicted felon. It's completely and totally screwed up. They they obsess, I think, on little stuff and then miss the big stuff. So I'm not necessarily a, I'm not a fan of the WIAA. In this particular case though, I think that I think they're doing the right thing. Let me share this story, and then we're going to open up the phone lines and discuss it. There was 
Several weeks ago, there was this wrestler. He wrestles for Waterford. His name is Hayden Halter, and he... He was he's a sophomore, very, very good wrestler year before he wrestled for for Burlington. okay, but very, very good. Matter of fact, he he just won the state championship in his weight class. And that's where the controversy comes in. What happened is he's at this wrestling tournament at the very end of the season and he's he's winning. All right. He's winning. Matter of fact, he's going to win big. The referee awards a point to the kid that he's wrestling against. According to the referee, the young man swears at him. Kid says he didn't do it, but the referee says he did. So what they do is they, they give him like a they give him a, a warning for for this. Then what happens is the kid um, flexes his muscles. All right now he says that he was just doing that as a symbol to his father, you know, a way of celebrating. The, the referee says, no, no, this is taunting your opponent. So he gets two unsportsmanlike conduct demerits, one for swearing at the referee. And again, he says he didn't swear, but the referee says he did, and the second for, like, flexing his muscles. Okay, so here's where it gets interesting. If you get two unsportsmanlike conduct oh, charges against you, what happens is you can't participate the, at the next match. That's what the rules say. Well, the next match happens to be the qualifying for the state wrestling tournament. So because he got these two unsportsmanlike conduct award, demerits, you know, charges against him, he was not going to be allowed to participate in the state wrestling tournament. His his folks, his parents, his team what they do, uh, the, the by team I mean the young man's team, not the school. They sue the WIA and they say, "Look here, we're this is wrong. We want to go in and we want to litigate because we think this referee was wrong in saying that the kid swore at him, and we think he was wrong in giving him a second unsportsmanlike conduct thing. We think this is wrong, and you know we want this to be overturned." The WIAA says, "Wait a second. I mean, you have referees, and it doesn't matter whether it's wrestling or basketball or cross country or you know you name it. Umpires in WIA sports, the these are things that are not reviewable. I mean, the the rule is, you know, what goes on the mat stays on the mat. And yes, you you can be upset about a particular ruling or whatever, but we can't have individual competitors or teams." running to the courts and saying, gee, this referee got it wrong. Gee, um, the umpire called him out. He was really safe. You know, we, we should go back and we should replay this or whatever. The WI said that's just not how it works. You know, you have to abide by the decision that, in this case, was made by the referee. And the courts, they argue, have no jurisdiction over this. This is just, you know, once the game ends, that's it. Sometimes officials make good calls. Sometimes they make bad calls. But you can't have a court deciding that they're going to jump in and try to litigate rulings as to what happened on the court. 
where do you draw the line? Let's say you've got a basketball player, and the basketball player gets two technical fouls and gets tossed out of the game. Should you be able to, I don't know, stop the game and run to court and try to say, hey, these technical fouls weren't appropriate? Should you be able to say, hey, he shouldn't have given these technical fouls, so he shouldn't be suspended for the next game? You see the point. The argument is you you, you have to let this all end, and you can't have people running to the courts. Well, all right, the, the kids runs to the court. A Racine judge, I think, surprised a lot of people by saying, you know what, I am going to intervene in here, and I am going to grant an injunction. I'm going to stop the WIAA from enforcing this this suspension, and the kid can continue to wrestle, and I'll set this matter up for trial later on. So the kid goes to wrestle, qualifies for state, and actually, I believe, wins the, the state in his, his weight class. So now the WIAA has to decide, do we let this go? Do we just kind of drop it? Or do we do we appeal the judge's decision? Do, do we want a higher court to determine whether or not every time a high school athlete feels that they've gotten a bad decision on the mat or on the court or on the baseball field, that they can run to court? Or do we want to decide once and for all that these are matters that that aren't reviewable by courts? Do you really want a court deciding whether or not somebody violated the you know thirty second clock or something like that? So the WIAA has made this decision that you know we understand the wrestling season is over, but we think this judge was wrong, and we think it sets a bad precedent. So no, we're going to continue to litigate. We are we're appealing this. And theoretically, I think what would happen is if the WIAA were to win, what they do is they'd go back and they'd strip this kid of, of the title. I, I think that's what would probably happen because they'd say, well, you know, he wasn't supposed to be participating. So, boom, just like they go back and they find somebody, if they find that you've got an ineligible player on the team, they take away your wins. My guess is they would say the kid is ineligible he should have been ineligible so he doesn't you know we're going to take the we're going to take the awards away from him but the fundamental question is whether or not the WIAA should continue to pursue this or whether they should just you know let it go 4147991620 that is the acunate mortgage talk and text line i started this by saying that i'm not a huge fan of a lot of stuff the WIAA does and Maybe in a situation like this, maybe they should have some sort of internal appeals process to allow somebody who thinks that they really got screwed over by a referee, maybe something, some panel or something that reviews it. But having said that, I don't think high school athletes should be allowed to go run to the courts and seek injunctions every time they get some decision on the court or on the mat or, you know, in the swimming pool or on the baseball field or the football field. I don't think that they should be able to run to the courts and decide that. This is something, hey, if you decide you want to participate in sports and you're going to be on a WIAA a something that's under the umbrella of WIA, I think you got to agree to the rules. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. I, I don't know. Again, I, I don't know whether the referee was right or wrong in this particular case, but I, I do know that if you allow 
individual participants in high school sports to be able to run to the courts every time they get a decision that they think is wrong by a referee, and I'm sure there's a lot of them, I, I, you're going to have an absolute and total mess. You're going to have circuit courts clogged with cases where judges are going to have to decide, gee, was that ball really out of bounds? Gee, did the kid really deserve that red card in soccer? I mean, I think... You know, if, if you're going to decide to participate in the WIAA as a voluntary institution, I think the members, they agree that this is going to be what the format is going to be. This is what the rules are going to be. Now, you could argue, like I say, the WIAA should have a better appeal process. Maybe instead of saying that the referee has the sole word, maybe in a case like this, if there's an unsportsmanlike conduct award, maybe you should be able to appeal it to a panel or something like that. I, I, I would get behind it. But otherwise, this I just don't think the courts are involved. I think this Racine County judge was way out of line. And I understand why the WIAA is doing what it's doing, because they don't want to be dragged into court 15 times next year when you have students who think that they've been screwed over by a bad decision by a referee. And again, I take no position whether the referee was right or wrong in this case. It's just... I don't know. I go to lots of college basketball games. Believe me, referees get all sorts of things wrong. Sometimes it costs teams games, which could mean all sorts of things. But you don't go into court and litigate that. Don in Pewaukee. Don, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, good afternoon. Hi, Don. Yeah, you know, uh, it, it is a bad precedent. And, and I certainly hope that WIAA fights this right to the, to the bitter end, right to the ninth. You know, uh, the kid probably did swear. Uh, and it, whatever his flex was, if it went through him or went through the, uh, the opponent to his father, that's taunting. Yeah. And, you know, we're getting all that stuff from the pro sports and everything trickled down. They should fight it. It's a bad precedent. And 15 is an understatement. They're going to, if this word gets out, you're going to have a nation full of whiners well. here in Wisconsin fighting every little thing. Every little call, it's it's ridiculous. Well, see, and that's the thing. And, and again, the, I I'm willing to accept that the ref might have been wrong. I I but. But at some point in time, I, I think the organization that runs the event should have the right to say how that is how that is decided. And the WIA has decided, all right, there, there's no appeal from a decision from a referee on these type of things, period. He, he's the, he or she is the final arbitrator. I think they have the right to do it. And if I've I got to tell you something, Don. If I'm a circuit court judge in Racine, last thing I want to do is all of a sudden have my docket jammed up by, oh, you know, God, yeah. by kids who, who want to litigate hey the referee said i was out of bounds i wasn't out of bounds here i mean i that's the last thing i want and and frankly i don't know why it got past the coach the coach knows the rules the coach knows that this is something that is not going to be able to be appealed it should never gotten past the coach hey uh, mr and mrs so-and-so i'm sorry but yeah he might have screwed up but i i'll tell you what they died here right well lick our wounds yeah yeah, thanks thanks for calling again now maybe I mean, maybe it is a talking point for the WIAA. You know, the WIAA, appropriately in my opinion, and I was one of the ones that helped give them some bad publicity, you know, last year when they said our hands are tied, we can't stop the kid who's the convicted felon from participating in the basketball tournament. We, we that Our rules don't allow us to do that. Well, now they're looking at changing the rules. All right, so maybe this is the case where it, it – 
it causes you know the members of the organization, the different schools, to say, hey, maybe we do need to set up an appeals process. Maybe the referee shouldn't be the final word when it comes to unsportsmanlike conduct. I, mean, I don't know. I, I don't know enough about wrestling. My, my son-in-law, Chris, knows all sorts about wrestling. I, I don't know enough about that to, to have an intelligent opinion one way or the other. But I, I do think the, the organization has the right to make rules. Let's talk to Jim in Burlington. Jim, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, Jeff. Uh, the, the young fellow is gonna. He, he could be an all-world wrestler. He's yep. gonna be good. The problem that I have is he did it last year, and it cost Burlington up at stick team state to go on to the finals. And he did it this year to his team in Elkhorn, and it cost them. The problem I have is by that judge letting him back in. The third place kid coming out of sectionals didn't get a trip to state that right. he deserved. Right. That's what bothers me. Right. Oh, oh, yeah. Because if if the rule would have been upheld, he would not have been participating in the state tournament at all, which would, would was kind of a harsh thing, admittedly. But if, if that's what the rules are, that's what the rules are. <clears throat> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I, right. I mean, thanks. I mean, again, I I don't. I, I keep coming back. I, I don't know if what he did was a violation or not, but I, I just I, I'm thinking of all the crazy stuff that goes on. And you have the parents that are just so nuts when it comes to this type of stuff. And, and that's why in the world of sports, the, the rules are the final arbiter is the referee or the umpire, you know, whatever. I mean, that's just the way it is. Okay, you look back on what happened in the NFL playoffs, where the only reason the L.A. Rams make the playoffs is because there is this incredibly, you know, gosh-awful call that the referees make when they, they ignore a pass interference call. Everybody and the brother knows it's a bad call, but the NFL said, no, there's nothing we can do. This is something that, you know, is made on on the field. This, I guess, I, I lump it into the same category. And look, do, do I care whether the kid gets to keep his state wrestling title or not? I, I really don't. But I, I do think that if you don't allow an organization to have its own rules, you're just, you know, it, it's going to be anarchy. It just is. Holly in Madison. Holly, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hello. How are you? Thanks for having me. Thanks for calling. What do you think? Um, yeah, I, I think WIAA needs to fight this because it's just, I, I've seen it the past couple of years with parents disrespecting uh, referees at the high school level. And then what does that do to the kids? The kids that are in high school now already are that of thinking they have privilege, you know, beyond what they should have, you know, right. entitlement. So they're going to imitate what their parents do and you know and i am not surprised that these kids are doing this and well, this even happened and now the parents are are doing this to the wia and you know the other thing is this kid already had a technical on him he had one technical and he's obviously a good wrestler he won state yep so he should know the game he should know what he's doing he had one technical he should have been on his best behavior right right that. he should have been dotting his eyes and crossing his t's and yeah, his nose was out of joint because what did the ref say that he stepped out when he thought he didn't? And yes. You know, maybe he made a bad call, but he just took it from just disagreeing to, to all this now. Well, well exactly. He's going to argue about it and make a big scene about it, and that's very disrespectful to the ref. I well, mean, well, it is. No, thanks to call Holly, and again, I, I'm sorry, I gotta, I'm coming, coming, 
coming up on a, on a hard break here. But yeah, I and I have, a, I have a text here. It says, have any of you watched the video? Yeah, I did watch the video, as a matter of fact. The text says the ref was wrong. The ref was also a former teacher for the other school. Okay, I don't care about any of that. If, if the referee was wrong... That, that's fine. Then, then maybe the referee shouldn't referee any more wrestling matches. If you think the referee was biased, then maybe the WIAA should fire him. If, if you want to argue the WIAA should change its rules to allow, uh, again, an appeal process for this, all right, I, I'm, I'm not going to argue any of that. But running to circuit court every time something like this happens, I, I think, is a very bad precedent. I, with all due respect, think the Racine County Circuit Judge was wrong to get involved. And this is one where I think to establish a precedent, the WIAA needs to, perf- the WIAA needs to pursue this. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, so glad to have you with us. You know, the, the show today, and you can check out if you missed any part of it. I actually think it's been a kind of a fun and interesting show. You can go to our mobile app at WTMJ.com, and you can subscribe to the podcast. I know thousands and thousands of people do that, and I very much appreciate it. A little bit of an interesting show, somewhat different today. It's been pretty much devoid of politics in, in general, and it's just it's just kind of worked out that way. I mean, I do at some point in time, and maybe we'll get around to it tomorrow, want to talk about what's been going on in Washington where you now have the House committee controlled by Democrats who sending out 80 subpoenas to pretty much anybody who's had any connection direct or indirect with the Trump campaign and this, this plan to now use a very, very obscure 1924 law that's only been, I think, invoked once which was when Richard Nixon was in office during Watergate to get access to the president's tax returns. And let's face it, once Congress gets access to them, you know it will be leaked to the public. I want to talk about that, but I think maybe we'll we'll save that discussion for tomorrow. As uh, Melissa and I were just talking about, okay, this is this is the week. I mean, Lent starts tomorrow, so I'm, I've made my commitment. I'm, I'm going to give up candy. I'm not giving up sweets, but I'm giving up candy. So that no more M&Ms, no more Snickers. Don't tempt me, Gru. Don't bring in those things and say, here, Jeff, you know, I don't, don't, I, I'm going to be strong. But I mean, I do want to leave myself the leeway that, you know, if somebody brings in a donut or something, I can have that. So I haven't eliminated cake and I haven't eliminated pie and I haven't eliminated ice cream, but we'll start with the candy and then we will go from there. So that's one of the things that's going on this week. The other thing that is going on this week that affects everybody is daylights, at least everybody in Wisconsin, daylight savings time kicks in Sunday morning. And this is the time where we push the, we spring ahead. So it, you, you advance the clocks an hour. What that means as a practical matter is that it will stay light longer in the evening. And then correspondingly, it will get light later in the morning. All right. Th- this always creates a, a controversy. And there, there's really like three schools of thought on this. Some people think we should just stay on standard time the, the whole year, that we shouldn't have the daylight savings time at all. There's some people that kind of like this. All right. You know, you've got, you know, during the winter, um, we, we want when it's when the daylight hours are really short, regardless, it makes sense to be on the standard time. But then in the summer, it makes it's great to have it stay light till nine o'clock at night around here or whatever. And then there's a third group that believes that we should go to daylight savings time, daylight savings singular. I know that 
Whenever I say that, I get corrected. It's not daylight savings, plural. It's daylight saving time. I, I get it. But the third group of people argue that we should go, we should just be on daylight saving time year-round. And the, the arguments are essentially that it's better to have it stay lighter longer in the evening than it is to have it get lighter earlier in the morning. And and the argument is essentially evening rush hour is typically twice as fatal as the morning rush hour. And, and the thing is, it just fatal crashes tend to occur more in the evenings. And if it's lighter, longer, you get a chance. They also argue the same thing with crime. Crime occurs more, crime occurs when it's dark. And it occurs more in the evening than in the morning. There's not that many people that are out there committing crimes, you know, at six o'clock in the morning. Not to say it can't happen, but by staying lighter longer, what you do is you reduce the number of hours uh, that crime could be committed. Also, um, there's an argument that you can you can save energy by um, with the sun out later in the evening, peak energy loads are reduced. So those are all the different things that are there. I am curious as to what you think. Our number is 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. So you really have three choices if you were the king. One is to keep things as they are. Second would be to scrap daylight saving time and just have daylight standard time. So we wouldn't spring ahead. We wouldn't fall back. It would just stay like it is, which means in the summer, it would be lighter earlier, but still get dark a little bit later. Or the third option is go to daylight saving time year-round. So uh, in the summer, it would be, again, it would be light longer. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Should we leave it the same or make one of those two changes, either scrap daylight saving time or scrap daylight standard time? 414-799-1620. Believe it or not, I do have a strong feeling about this. I will share that, but I'm curious as to how you react because one way or the other, your sleep patterns will be slightly, slightly screwed up this weekend because you're going to lose an hour of sleep. 414-799-1620. We discuss in just a moment. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, this week's Home Improvement Spring Showcase. It will be spring sometime. Is brought to you by Serta Pro Painters. That's Serta Pro Painters who say, we do painting, you do life. Let's start with Brent in West Bend. Brent, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. How are you? I am well, thank you. How are things in West Bend? I love West Bend. Uh, it looks uh, <laughs> cold and snowy, just like everywhere else I've been today. Got it. <laughs> Understood. What do you think? Well, uh, people complain about, you know, we're going to lose an hour of sleep. I'm a truck driver. My schedule changes daily. This morning I started at 2 o'clock in the morning. Tomorrow I can start at 4 o'clock in the morning. So I'm getting up at all different times anyway. And, uh, you know, it's aggravating, but, you know, I, I don't like all these people complaining about losing the, the one hour. But right. it would just be nice if we could eliminate it and keep the same do, all year long. Right. So do you have a preference as to which way or just you would like to see it, whether it's daylight saving time or standard time, just one time for the, for the whole year, not having to do the switch around? Correct. It doesn't matter to me which way it goes, but. I suppose I would like it to have uh, the light longer in the day. Yes. Thanks for the call, Brent. I, I'm with you. Uh, let me let me 
I'll, I'll explain why, but let me share a couple of texts that we're getting. Uh, Jeff, I love daylight saving time. That's right. No plural S. Sunsets at 417 in December are for the birds. I agree. Daylight saving time all the way. Um, here's another text. So I like things just the way they are. If we stayed on daylight saving time, then in the winter, the sun wouldn't rise until after 8 a.m. If we stayed on standard time, the sun would be set by 7 p.m. in the summer. Um, I don't understand people's complaints about gaining or losing an hour of sleep twice a year. This happens every time someone takes a trip crossing time zones. Yeah, there's no question about that. All right, I'm going to wade into this. I'm going to wade in on this, and uh, this is how I feel, and I will explain why, and you can certainly criticize that. I Do I think it's a big deal that it changes you know, twice a year. No, I, cause again, as somebody who travels occasionally, you were, I mean, I was in Florida a couple of weeks ago and, you know, they're, they're an hour ahead. So, you know, when you, when you travel to Florida, you, you lose that hour. When you come back, you pick up the hour. A couple of weeks, um, we're scheduled to go to Las Vegas for a long weekend over the NCAA thing. Well, that's when you go in the other way, it's two hours, you know, so you, you, you adapt to that. So I, I think that's kind of a minor thing. I do, and I agree with with our first caller, Brent. I do like the fact that it stays light longer in the evening. And that is why, if I were the king, what I would do is I would go to daylight saving time year-round. Because I I like the fact, and look, and I understand if you've got, you know, the argument is, okay, in the dead of winter, you know, do you want the kids standing out at the school bus stop when it's when it's dark? Well, the, the truth of the matter is, in the winter, for almost all the kids, if they're going to school 6.30 or 7 o'clock or whatever, they're probably going to be standing out in the dark anyhow. That's just kind of the reality. I Just on a personal, personal basis, I like the fact that when you get off of work in the evening, I, I like the fact that it's light. To me, the, you know, the worst thing is you get up in the morning, it's dark, and then the sun sets so early that before you can get home, it, it's dark as well. I mean, those, that's the type of stuff, especially when you live in this cold climate that we live in, it really ends up getting depressing. I love the fact that in the evening, it stays light longer. I wish, I mean, honestly, I wish every month of the year could be June. I mean, I love the fact that, you know, when you get close to the, the summer equinox and, you know, you're talking about what June 21st is the the longest amount of daylight hours. I, I love the fact that it stays late till 9 o'clock or, or whatever. I absolutely just love those summer evenings where it just stays light for a lengthy period of time. If I had my druthers... I mean, again, I would take it. Um, I I would take the I would take the length of time. I'll take the light in the evening. Now, not everybody is going to be happy. I have a text here saying, you know, what about the people who work outside in the morning? Well, yeah, I mean, that's that's a factor. I, I get that. You know, if if you're supposed to be on the job at seven o'clock in the morning, you know, you you'd want it to be light as soon as possible. But you're going to end up making that up. I am just saying, as a matter of personal preference, I'll take I'll take it staying light longer in the day. Here's another text, Jeff. Even the birds don't like it when it gets dark earlier in the day. I think they should keep it where it is lighter at night uh, than during the day, during the morning. Well, I think that's the factor as well. I have a number of texts who pretty much say daylight saving all of the time. It is a matter of preference, and it's interesting that you have some states that don't make the change. I mean, Indiana doesn't make the change. 
Um, Arizona. I don't think Arizona makes the change, which is why, for example, tomorrow we have an early out for Brewers baseball at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. And then once daylight saving time kicks in, the games all start at 3 o'clock, so I don't lose an hour of the show. But that's that's just a reflection of the, the, the timing that they end up in Arizona. I think they start stuff at the same time. Um, you know, that's that's the preference. But regardless... What you need to know is moving forward, you need to know that it's going to happen on Sunday. So if you've got places to go and churches and things like that to be at, make sure that you do um, spring ahead. Right before we bring in John McCure, and he's, I know, got a great show this afternoon, I did want to comment on a story that's out there out of, out of Brookfield. And if you are a regular listener of this program, you know that I talk frequently about my frustration with the fact that you have various childhood diseases like measles, for example, that have been, they're essentially eradicated in our lifetime, but are now making a comeback because you have people who've made the decision that they don't want to have their kids vaccinated. Okay, this is a variation of that story. Apparently, there is a guy in Brookfield, and 57 years old, and about 10 months ago, he, he came down with measles. All right. He he came down with measles. He was highly communicable. And the health department found out that, um, hey, th- this guy has has measles. So what happened is the Waukesha County Health Department ordered that the man be quarantined in his residence in order to prevent the spread of measles. All right. You know, that's you've I don't know how he got measles or whatever, but he had them. So, I mean, it's not like they locked him up or anything, but they said, here's what you have to do. You have to be quarantined at home. And the the quarantine order ran, oh, about about a week or so, maybe 10 days. Um, I think it started on April 26th and it was supposed to run until um, May 7th. So that that was the deal. So, you know, not quite two weeks. So stay at home. Don't go out because we don't want you infecting other people. Apparently, though, the guy decided, I'm going to go out. (laughs) I'm going to go out. And at one point in time, apparently he said uh, he he goes to the gym. He goes to the gym when he's under this quarantine. He ended up getting caught. And now they brought misdemeanor charges uh, against him. And I'm sitting here and I'm listening to the story and I'm thinking, all right. I understand the guy says he was going crazy in being being stuck in the house. Like, okay, you might be going crazy getting stuck in the house, but I'm thinking, man, you leave that house communicable and you go over to the gym and because measles, it, it's transferred easily. I mean, you cough, you sneeze, it's an airborne type of thing. You know, it can easily be transmitted. So you're going to the gym. You walk past, I don't know, some of these little kids that are in the gym or whatever while their mom is working out, and, and some of these children end up getting the measles, or you run into somebody that has a compromised immune system, and, and you know, they could catch it. So in any event, the Waukesha authorities have now issued misdemeanor charges against the guy for violating the quarantine order. Some people think it's an overreach. I'm not one of them. I mean, I'm, I'm just not. I think that you have to have, in this particular case, it's not unreasonable to say, hey, you've caught the measles, stay home for two weeks, and, and that's, that's what you have TV and ping pong and card games and things like that for. You can't be going out in public when they tell you not to. And if you do, I think you deserve to be charged with a crime. It's 2.54. We'll find out what John McCure has in just a minute.